could be seated. Pastor Roy. If you're new with us, thank you so much by honoring us with uh, your presence and worship. Uh, I, I'd love to just meet you. Maybe you've even been here a few weeks. I've been out traveling and I haven't met you. Uh, my wife hasn't met you. At the end of the service, come by and I'll, I'll try to get accessible here in the foyer. And I'd like to just meet you personally. So thank you for, for being our guest. We're going to step away from our Hall of Faith series this morning because Pastor Roy Mack has a word from God that he wants to share from us. And uh, we're so glad to have you, Roy. Come, come and share what God's given you. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Bobby. Well, what a joy to be in Fort Worth. All right. And you may not know what I mean, but we're having a heat wave in uh, northeast Ohio, where I live now. And uh, this morning, it was almost above zero. And uh, the snow is about right here. And so, praise God for an opportunity to be south. Yes. <laughs> and to be here with you guys. And uh, what a joy uh, to be here. And uh, good manners. Uh, would say that I ought to uh, say a few things, and um, beyond good manners, just good friendship uh, needs a word as well. And I am blessed greatly by Bobby and Susan. My wife and I uh, both are. I don't know how I could love any two people more than I love them. I don't know how they could be better friends than they are. Uh, they've been a great encouragement uh, through the years also um, to our church through mission endeavors and uh, speaking and uh, different things. Alan, it's so good to see you. I'm on a group text uh, with Alan and get a little encouragement every week or two. Uh, comes dropping in and just knowing there's other people in the world uh, praying uh, for me and for my life is a, is a great blessing. I think the last time I was here in person with you guys, you guys were celebrating, was it, was it 20 years, Bobby? 20 years here as a pastor, which is... Um, Usually only the Southern Baptists keep good records, and so we go with them, and uh, I've lived long enough to see the average pastor in the average Southern Baptist church, uh, they stayed 18 months, and then they went to another church, and that's now up to, uh, I think it's 3.5 years that they stay. So it's quite an anomaly to have a pastor uh, for 20 years, and I just want to say this, in the private moments of speaking with him and Susan, how much that they love you and how they pray the best over you and they desire this church to be salt and light in this community. And I say to you, you're very blessed to have them leading your church, particularly in this season of their life and the season of this church's life. So praise the Lord uh, for that. Uh, again, I'm glad to be anywhere. Uh, some of you uh, know a little of my story I'm glad to be anywhere today, particularly on the right side of the grass. So I had cancer in 2018. In fact, I was making plans to go see Koshaling, uh to go into India. And we were talking about visas. And uh, I was one of those guys that was also kind of kicked out of the country, uh, denied visa and so forth. Some of you are aware of things like that happening. And couldn't figure out why I couldn't get it done. Well, it wouldn't have mattered because... Uh, you know, I found out uh, January of 18, I had cancer, went through all the treatments and all the horror that goes along with that, thought I was okay. Uh, on Black Friday of that same year, I was uh, told in a checkup, well, uh, bad news, it's returned and now you need a stem cell transplant and went into that of March of 19 and the cancer wasn't hurting me, but the treatments like to killed me. Uh, so... Um, Got septic, got neurovirus, had organ failure, coded out three times in one day. And uh, right in front of my wife, in front of everybody else, and in fact, she hadn't have been there, I'm, I'm positive I would have died. And anyway, um, God has been good to me. As we were just singing that song, and I won't be able to think about that long or I'll just have to just quit and cry a while. But God has been good uh, to Roy Mack, so I'm delighted to be here. How many of you have seen that... Um, little post on Facebook, uh, I think my wife actually just shared it, is where, <laughs> where I saw it, that it, if I got the math right, it's the same distance from 1918 to 1970 as it is from 1970 to 2022. If you've seen that, would you raise your hand? For some of you, you've seen it, others of you are contemplating the bad news of that, because if you are... Uh, 
a 60s or 70s child like uh, I am, and uh, my wife is not nearly that old, but I'm that old, um, that just gives you pause, does it not? And when you were showing those <laughs> the, the uh, orphans with pigs, uh, here, see, we, we just lose track of how the world progresses and the blessing of this day. My grandparents went to the church that I was saved in when they were kids in wagons. Think of that. Wagons. My grandmother said they would be so tired they'd just throw the reins over the back of the mules back and the mules knew the way home. And they'd lay in the back and look at the stars and rest. They were migrant cotton sharpers. Fun fact, when she was a little girl, they lived next door to Johnny Cash's family, and her and Johnny Cash's sister were best friends. It's a bygone era that is there. My mom and dad made a buck thirty-five an hour apiece when I was a baby. Could not afford to have me. My brother seven years older than me. They wanted to have another child. And the way they afforded me at a buck thirty-five apiece was they moved from town where there's running water out to what was our old home place that was a shack that was built at the turn of the century, and I'm talking about from 1800s to 1900s. Moved a toilet inside, but it was free, and raised pigs on the side to have enough money to have a son. I have a little statue of a pig in my house Nobody knows what it means, but ever so often I pass by it and say, God, thank you for bacon. Amen. Thank you for swine <laughs> that made a way for me to be here. And you think about, well, we give and we give to missions, but hey, who knows who comes out of that? Uh, what world shaker, I'm not saying I'm any of that, I'm just saying what world shaker might come out of an orphanage like that? My grandparents never got on an airplane until one trip. I was with my granddad to make a trip to see his sister he hadn't seen in a lifetime. Got on an airplane. That plane took off. He's whipping his leg. This is the most exciting thing I've ever seen in my life. Just, you know, and I think of how many airplanes I've been on. And I've been all over the world preaching the gospel. Thank you, Jesus, for pigs. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for pigs. <laughs> well, all right, I got to get into it um, quickly, quickly, like a chicken trying to lay an egg on the middle of the highway. I got to get in, lay it on the line, get out. All right. So, um, uh, you see the um, graphic behind me. Uh, some years ago, I preached a, a, a series of messages in my church called Royal Subjects on the parables, uh, the kingdom parables we find in the Bible, Matthew 13. If you just if you have a Bible in your lap or a electronic. Uh, deal to look at. You can follow along a little bit with this, but uh, one of those parables has stood out to me in one verse. It's in verse 44, and it is, uh, it's one that I have uh, re-preached many different times in many different ways in many different settings because the Word of God, uh, word of God is, as we know, it's sharp and powerful, and uh, you think about uh, even what it says in Hebrews, this is, the Word of God does surgery. It gets right into the meat of the matter, and I believe the great physician has done a lot of surgery uh, with this particular verse. And you see here, in the middle of this dissertation, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy, he went and sold it. So on the surface, it just looks pretty simple, does it not? A man is walking through a field and kind of just stumbles across uh, just some treasure. We don't know what the treasure was, but it was a treasure. And the man valued that treasure more than everything he had at home. So he rehid the treasure and then he went and sold all that he had so he could buy the whole field and he could obtain that particular treasure. Just one single verse and yet every time I read it, God's showing me something different. Uh, it's so alive and it's so powerful and it's so applicable to everything that we need in our life today. Now, uh, just on the surface, we all understand this at some level. Some of you, probably like me, have been in a store somewhere, and it's not worth something going home and selling everything that you have to obtain it, but you found a treasure. You found a, a pair of jeans exactly your size, and there was one pair left, and yet you'd forgot your wallet, didn't have a credit card, didn't have cash, whatever the situation was, 
And you, like me, probably hid those jeans somewhere else in the store, put it in a rack in the wrong spot, and by your laughter, I know you've done it. I know you've done it. And it wasn't that, you know, it, was, it wasn't stealing, right? It was just sort of hiding it so nobody else would get it till you could come back with the means in which to buy it. Uh, I'm not going to make you raise your hands, but you, you, many of you have done this. I know that you have. So Jesus oftentimes spoke in parables. You know this, Pastor Bobby's a wonderful Bible preacher, and I'm sure you've cruised through many of these subjects before, but uh, if you're uh, due to, to the just the Christian walk, parables are just short stories. They're illustrations. They are word pictures of which we get our mind around. Country people, we, we grew up hearing these kinds of things, sometimes just in phrases. Perhaps you've heard something. We always compare something with something that we know about. As sure as there's a cow, in where? In Texas. Tell me you've never heard this. I grew up hearing that. I grew up in Arkansas. But surely, I'm as sure about this as there is a cow in Texas. Listen to this one. I'm as sure about this as a martin bird is headed for his gourd. I, I, again, I just grew up hearing those kinds of words. That fell flatter than a one-egg pudding. <laughs> those of you who bake, you know <laughs> a one-egg pudding isn't going to stand up, right? It's going to fall flat. How about this? As sure as there's a Baptist in Fort Worth, right? <laughs> you, you, you gather that. So there's, they're just word pictures. Of course, parables then have deeper meaning and deeper meaning and deeper meaning. And when Jesus said it, it just has endless, has endless meaning. So the parable in this transition, or the parable is a transition in your Bible from what Jesus has been teaching a little bit earlier in this chapter, Jesus has been teaching his disciples and now us that there is going to be righteous seed sown into the world. Righteous seed is the word of God and the work of God. So righteous seed are going to, is going to be sown into, into the world and we're still doing that. You as a church are sowing into Myanmar and you're uh, sowing into Imphal and into Nepal. We're sowing righteous seed into the world. But if you read all these parables, you'll see then the enemy is going to come along and hinder the word and the work of God through uh, a number of different things that we see again in the parables like the condition of the ground being compared to, to hearts. There's hardness there. The presence of rocks, thorns, birds that come along and devour the seed. Satan would sow counterfeit seed. The parable of the, uh, of the wheat and the tares. Counterfeit seed looks the same. There's a lot of people who say they're Christians, say they love Jesus, look like Christians, but they're not. We know them by their what? Their fruit, right? So they're counterfeit. Uh, then Satan would attack the kingdom uh, and the church, and those parables are given, uh, he, he will attack them from without, and he will attack them from within. And that's illustrated by the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven. We know the leaven, that's something inside the church that poisons the church. And after an explanation of the sower and the parable, Jesus speaks three parables right in a row. It is a trilogy of sorts. We love that word in our day, trilogies of certain movies, and it's, you know. So here's three little, almost one verse apiece, uh, stories that really unfold the whole work of God in the world. Uh, just in three uh, verses, or one of maybe two verses. But So uh, they, they are this, there are three subjects being covered in these next three parables the one of which is my subject today, the treasure in the field, mainly about Israel. I'll explain in a minute. The next one, a pearl of great price, is mainly about the church. And then the parable of the dragnet is mainly dealing with the judgment of the unbelievers or the, uh, the nations. And all three of these parables are mysteries of sort. Now, when you're trying to figure out a mystery, you begin with what you know to be true. You back off something you don't understand and go, what do I know to be true? Then you put the Bible in its setting and you try to understand the culture. Then who's speaking? To whom is, are they speaking to? What is the subject? What is trying to get uh, across? And then a good Bible student will then back all the way out and look through history and see, okay, what do I know now? 
by what Jesus said then. How's it all playing out into the world? That's how you begin to understand a, a mystery. So I want to do a few things today in this message. One, I want to give you a, th- a, a quick theological perspective because as Bible preachers and Bible believers, we ought to have that. We ought to understand the theology of something. And then I want to give you some practical principles that are out of it because we ought to have something that we take home and put in our life right now. And then the plan would be this. It is a plan of reevaluation. So that's what we want to look at. I have called this message a number of times just simply reevaluation. Reevaluation. So first, the theological perspective, very quickly. Um, I mentioned there's the trilogy of parables right here in a row, beginning in verse uh, 42 or 3 it is. And the first one, uh, again, the treasure in the field, dealing with the Hebrew people, the, the Israelites, Followed by the parable of the church, followed by the parable of the judgment of the heathen nation. So we know from the previous uh, parables in Matthew 13 that the field in which the parable is speaking is the world. We know that, the, the world, because how do we know that? Because Jesus said so. You, you, can, you can know that to be true. The world we live in is one of, that's really a colossal graveyard. God intended for our world, when he created it, to be a mirror image of his kingdom in heaven. And he, he, he put us here to be stewards of the kingdom, but because of sin and the choice of sin and the brokenness of all of our lives, we live in a colossal graveyard of brokenness, destruction, and it's hard to find the kingdom. Sometimes it's hard to find the kingdom even in the church. We look around and go, where is anything that makes sense? And it's utter confusion that is out there. And probably the Bible's most famous two verses are Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the what? The heavens and the earth. Right? The second most famous in the Bible, I don't know if it's one or two, be John 3-16. For God so loved the what? The world. Two things there together. Genesis 1 would later go on to tell us the world was without form and with and void and it was covered with darkness. That's a picture of the world without God's light. That's exactly what, in fact, the whole gospel is given in the first three verses of Genesis 1.1. Everything God was going to do is said right there. The world without God is without form and void and darkness, but God said, let there be what? Let there be light, and that is the power, the message of the gospel that brings light and darkness has to, has to flee. John 3.17, um, I'm sorry, John 3.16 speaks of his love for the world and the people um, who live in the darkness of sin, and he's telling about his willingness to give his only begotten son to them. Verse 17 says he's not coming to judge or to condemn, but to what? To save. He's coming to save the world. So God has not abandoned us, and He certainly not abandoned His covenant people, Israel. He sees Israel, listen carefully, as a great treasure hid in a field. A great treasure that is hid in a field of darkness. The parable applies to us, His church, in principle, but we're not the main subject. We, His church, are fully illustrated in the next parable about the great the, the pearl of great price, the oyster died to bring forth the pearl. And well, we see where that's heading, right? Jesus died to bring forth the great treasure. His great treasure uh, would, would be the church, so fully illustrated there. But in this simple little parable, the history of Israel is told. One verse. The, the, the whole idea of it is, is given right there. You may remember how God called Abraham out of uh, out of uh, or the Chaldees and uh, and it's you know you if you pick it up in Genesis 12 verses 1 through 3 you see uh, God's call upon him he wants to bring Abraham and his descendants come follow me just I, I mean I, I'm God he didn't know who God was he was an idol worshiper but God called him out of the darkness of that come and follow me and then we see a progression of descendants beginning to follow him and they end up in down in Egypt and Moses comes as a deliverer and many of you know all those the, all those stories Moses takes them to the promised land 
And then Joshua takes them into the promised land. And then later on, there's going to be a great city that's given, the city of a king, Jerusalem. David would be a descendant that is going to be the ruler and reigner uh, upon that kingdom. And the promise that he would always have a descendant that would be ruling and reigning on that kingdom. But David had a breach in his life. And, uh, the, the, you know, the infamous story of Bathsheba is there. And a, a friend is murdered and a baby is dead. And, I mean, it, it would be, man, it would be a trilogy of movies that people would subscribe to want to watch the soap opera as it unfolded. But then Solomon comes along. And he's ruling and reigning uh, uh, on that throne. And there's this glorious time period that happens, but Solomon gets corrupted because of his wives and all kinds of stuff happen uh, there that just kind of goes south for them. And then over time, a generation removed, the kingdom would be divided by civil war. And then we see a northern kingdom going into destruction and captivity of Assyria and Judah and the southern kingdom going into Babylon. And now God's people, watch the word now, are just scattered and hidden. They're just, they're just scattered and hidden. And throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, the Jewish people, God's treasure, were scattered all over the Bible lands. All over the Bible lands. By the time Jesus came on the scene, watch what's happened to this group of people. They've been transferred through Assyria, uh, Babylon, to the Medes, to the Persians, to the Greeks, to the Romans. And now that's the time period that Jesus walked the earth right there. If you're still with me, would you say amen? So Jesus is there as the rightful king, right, walking the lands. But an Edomite is actually the king of that era, uh, uh, that area named Herod, appointed by Caesar. So... The Jews are a conquered people in, a ever, in every way, yet Jesus came preaching this message, repent, change your mind, change directions, change the way that you're living, repent for what? The kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. It's here. At hand means no further than my heart to my hand, you could reach out, step into it. One step, you can be in the kingdom. You don't have to die to go to heaven. Heaven can come to you in one step. Walking in the kingdom of God is available to you here should you repent and follow him in that. Now listen how unique this parable is in light of these things. Jesus is saying the treasure has been here all the time. The treasure is here in this world. It's just been covered up. All roads in Jesus' day did not lead to Jerusalem. They led to Rome. Therefore all the roads led out of Rome. And the gospel was going to go because of what Rome had done. God used them for that. The Roman legions are marching up and down those roads, but so is the gospel moving forward. And the Jews were hidden in all through the Bible lands. It sounded like ordering hash browns at Waffle House. They were scattered, covered, diced, and, you know, there they are. Glory to God for Waffle House. Amen. So the man in this parable represents Jesus himself. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Satan's kingdom was threatened, so he moved on Herod in jealousy. Go kill every baby in Bethlehem. You guys know that story. That's the dark side of Christmas right there, isn't it? Go kill every baby in Bethlehem. Satan tempted Jesus later. You don't have to go after that treasure this way. I'll give you the whole world. Just bow down and worship me. You don't have to go die on a cross. You don't have to do these things. I'll, I'll give it all to you. And by the way, it was Satan's to give at that time. But Jesus was after the real treasure. Watch this, which was doing God's will. He uncovers the treasure in the field. Israel, now the covenant nation that's been hid among the nations and scattered among the nations. And he announces who he is and what he has come to do. And you know the story as well as I do. We will not have this man rule and reign over us. And they rejected him. He came into his own and his own received him not. And they crucified him. And what happened to Israel ever since is they've been scattered out among the nations again and they've been hid in the field. Covered. Covered. Now, Jesus wept over the city, died for them. He gave everything he had to buy the field. For the treasure. But the treasure rejected him. But make no mistake, Jesus, like the man in the parable, he has bought the field and he owns them. 
And that's the treasure. So that's a theological perspective. Let me move quickly to practical principles. What's in it for me and you? Don't we want to know that? Hey, I'm always about that, right? Hey, okay, good to know what's in it for me. So the man was not discouraged in the parable when he hid the treasure back and covered it up. In fact, it was the opposite reaction. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. For joy. Though we are not Israel, we principally here apply. There is only one time in the gospel record in which Jesus, which we read, Jesus himself rejoiced. And it was when he, went, he sent the 70 out in his name to go preach the gospel, gave them power over the demons and all kinds of stuff, things like we just saw here on the screen a moment ago. Jesus, I'll give you power in my name to go do that. And when the 70 returned rejoicing, watch now, with some sample treasures... They said to Jesus, listen, Jesus, even the demons and diseases and even death had no power over us. Luke 10, 21 says in Jesus' response, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced. It's the only time you ever read it in the New Testament. Jesus rejoiced in his spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. Israel's leaders, the Pharisees, Sadducees, the the Rhodians, they're not going to see these things. They're not going to understand them, though they were so clearly presented. The kingdom is hidden. It is hidden from those who would not follow Jesus into his kingdom. In humility and repenting to do so, Jesus is offering us, his Gentile church, his followers, the keys to do business here on earth, but it requires something of us to do that business. As people, we have three major struggles here on the earth. It's it's universal. It's my struggle and it's your struggle. In this field, if you please, there's three struggles that that we have. Here they are. Our pleasures, our positions, and our possessions. I like what I like to do. I like my stuff, I like my things, and I like a title. Universally, everybody struggles right there. We tend to treasure these things. We measure our lives by these things. Bobby, when we do funerals, what do we say? Here's what he did, here's what he liked, here's his hobbies, here's what he had, here's his position, and there's his possessions. God bless him, ashes to ashes and dust to dust. That's pretty well what it is. Now, spiritually speaking, we talk about did he know Christ and live for him. But I'm saying as the world goes, that is what you have. I have a friend who pastors First Baptist Church Jonesboro. When I pastored in Atlanta for 14 years, he was just not 10 miles away. His kids went to our school. And uh, that is the church where Truett Cathy attended all of his life. Truett Cathy, familiar with Cathy's, they own Chick-fil-A, billionaire. My secretary lived next door to Truett Cathy. He lived in a 50-style house with a, with a carport. Now, he had a barn out back that was phenomenal with about $5 million worth of cars in it. Those cows you see on the commercials are outside. But in a, I'm telling you, in a three-bedroom, bath-and-a-half house with a carport is where he lived. When they had his funeral... Several people spoke, and by the way, he taught Sunday school to little boys for 50 years. 50 years. When they had the funeral, my pastor friend there, Mel, said the most interesting thing about the funeral was they talked about his these three things, the possessions and so forth, but they talked more about what he got joy out of, the Sunday school class, his legacy in giving, his legacy in teaching the Bible. Do you know what there was not one mention of in an hour and a half, two-hour service? Not one mention of Chick-fil-A. No one ever uttered the phrase, Chick-fil-A. I'm thinking that would have been the lead, right? That's how we know him, but that was not his joy. That was not what he got out of life, was those things. If you're looking for real joy in this world... It's not going to be held long. 
and how this world measures success because it's going to be, this world's going to say it's pursuing pleasures and your pursuit of position and your pursuit of possessions. Ironically, the hardest area for people to change in and give up is also found in these things we desperately hold to. Therefore, here's the third point. I've got a couple of stories and we'll be done, but here, here it is. So we must have a plan for reevaluation. If my whole pursuit of life are these three things that I can't even hold, and ultimately there's not going to be joy that's left in them if I'm just living for the world, then I need to look at what I've got right now, and I need to have a plan for reevaluation, lest, lest I go through life miserably and into the kingdom empty-handed. To see these things for how they truly are and not just have some perception here. Let's do no harm to the theology of the parable. I've already told you the right theology about it. So it does no harm to principally do this. Let's put me and you into this parable as the man who found the treasure in the field. Let you and I walk through that field together for a minute And think about what we might do if we had the same opportunity. And I think if we see ourselves in this, we might reevaluate or change our lives when we discover something greater to measure our life by. I call it this. If you write nothing down today, write this down. This is selling out to buy in. Selling out to buy in. That's what athletes do when they want to become champions. I'll give up everything over here that I may condition myself here because I would do anything to be a champion. We see it in professional sports. You see a guy, he's making $100 million a year, but I'll go make $10 million. I know it's a great leap, right? But I will give up the money on this end of it because I have enough money. I want to have a championship. Do you see it? I will give up eating biscuits and gravy... Because it won't help me run faster. That's what an athlete will do. it. It's what investors do. I could have some instant gratification right now, but I will withhold my instant gratification and invest over here so I'll have a better, better situation later. Do we get that? Y'all nod your head if you're with me still. Right? We're, we're there, right? That's, that's what they do. Uh, this is in part what God calls me to do every week as a pastor. It's what Pastor Bobby just did a moment ago before we received the offering. Let me translate what he just told you. Are you ready? Let me just cut, let me just cut down to the mustard of this thing. If you keep what you have, it's so cheap and indifferent of you to do so. As opposed to giving to what he showed you. Look at what you have and what it could do if you gave to that. That's what church services are designed to do. They should be, and if they're not designed to do that, we're missing presenting the kingdom of God. I let my people every week know that what your money is doing and what your time is doing, these are more significant than if you hold on to it and just keep it for yourself and squirrel it away. By the way, what are you keeping it for? Your kids are going to sell all the, can you say crap here? They're going to sell all the crap that you're accumulating in a yard sale. All of it. All those little treasures that you're holding on to are going to be 10 cents on the dollar in front of your house one day. Not 30 minutes after they throw dirt in your face and everybody goes back to your house and eats potato salad. And they say, well, he sure looked natural down there, didn't he? He sure looked natural. I'm here to tell you the truth. The greatest thing I ever did in my life and that I constantly have to redo is I'm selling out to buy in. The greatest thing you'll ever do is sell out to buy in. I'm originally from Arkansas, as already stated. Some of you are familiar with a guy that's our most, probably most, probably the second most famous citizen, Sam Walton. I won't mention the other one. Sam Walton started Walmart. I'm old enough to remember when Walmart was a cruddy little store. The fifth store ever started was in my hometown. The fifth one. 
the guy who became one of the managers at that store, we, April and I, as young married people, were friends with his family. And I would hear stories like this, but you know, because that was in a day when Sam would pull up to the store, park his old truck up on the sidewalk, and walk in. If you buy old Roy dog food, that was his old bird dog. My friend's fathers would take them bird hunting. Uh, you know, he was just known that way. John Hawks was a, a manager with them. John Hawks told me in his living room one day, he said, my wife would get so mad when Sam Walton did not have enough money to pay me because he had mortgaged everything he had to get them a little cruddy Walmart store started. And he would pay me in stock. My wife, he said, was so mad one night, she took a whole handful of that stock and threw it up against the wall and said, John, we can't eat this. And, and by the way, he's telling me this in a palace of a home now. And he said, you know, she got over that. <laughs> right? Had they known what was going to happen, everybody there would have said, Sam, you know what, you, you just, could you just pay me in stock this week? Right? The little old women that were stock women in that town when I was first married with April, they were all millionaires. The women putting up the, you know, the tide and the sign that's marked down, all of them were millionaires because of stock, because they got paid in stock. We would love to have the same opportunity. While the world was making fun of Walmart and fun of Sam Walton, we look back and go, well, I wish I'd have had the same opportunity. That would have been savvy of us if we, would have, if we would have done that. If we'd have just known what would have happened, well, we would have sold out to bought in. Again, when I compare what this world offers, and it does have a lot of things to offer, you could be a thousand and one places today in Fort Worth. But here you sit. I hope it's not out of obligation. I hope you've come here because you found more value for what your soul would get than where it would be applied somewhere else. That you realize to give at a church like this has more value than just chunking it out anywhere else in Fort Worth. When I think of that, I could burn my time up on. When I think about the money I could give to certain things as opposed to putting it in the hands and the body of the church that I'm leading and the church that you're attending. And we have part... He's right. We have... Tens of thousands of dollars in partnership with you. Why is that? Because we value it. And we see what it does. Now watch, I want you to see this. If I'm the man in the parable, I see I can go sell out and have a great part of this treasure. Watch now, I'm hurrying. You have to buy the whole field. I've got to sell out to buy in, but I don't just buy the treasure. I've got to buy that whole field. It's not a pick-and-choose deal. How do you get the treasure? Buy the whole field. It's an interesting point to me. My family was in real estate when they got out of the swine business. This is how we kept moving down the same old dirt road. And my mom went from a buck thirty-five an hour to she became one of the first women realtors. I'm old enough to remember when women didn't sell real estate. She became one of those glass ceiling breakers because she got tired of no promotion. Kind of a Mary Tyler Moore of her day. So she starts doing well. Dad starts doing well. They start buying land. So we went from a little patch of nothing to now we're 140 acres down here on the end of the road. And that was nice being a teenager. I, I kid you not, we put a pool in the backyard on an old farm. We were talking about the other night. It's full of snakes all the time. <laughs> pool got put in. I went to the creek the next day. Made my mom mad. I said, well, we like still swimming in the creek, right? Country people. So all those things happen, and we're in real estate, and there was a, at 18, April and I knew each other at 18. <laughs> we both had a real estate license at 18. And an old man come in to our real estate company, and uh, he he was a retired doctor who had spent a lot of years in Romania during communism doing medical work. Guy had a walk with God, loved the Lord, but he was widowed. And all he wanted was some land with quail on it 
so he could use his old bird dog to hunt quail. Well, what I knew is I, I grew up hunting birds. We'd had so many, you know, the farming had changed and uh, predators had come in and there, there wasn't hardly a handful of quail in two counties. And I'm thinking, how am I going to find this man quail? And I mean, it's like burning time. I took him this property, that property, and we'd get out and walk with his old bird dog. And we're walking. I've run out of everything to talk to this man about. You, know, you understand what I'm saying? And finally, on the last old patch of ground somewhere, we've walked, I know we've walked hundreds of acres. And we're walking, and we got about 50 yards from the truck, and like a miracle of God, about eight birds got up. And I thought, oh, thank you, Jesus. The man turned to me and said, I'll take it. Now, let me translate that. Because I've pointed out everything that he didn't care about. There's babbling brooks. the other wildlife. This one's got an old shack over here that could be fixed up. It'd be a hunting thing. He didn't care about anything until them birds got up. He turns to me, I'll take it. Translation, I'm willing to give a quarter of a million dollars for this old scrubby land for those eight birds. And I wrote it up on the hood of the car and said, now press hard, there's two copies. <laughs> right? 10% commission, hallelujah. Right? Made out like a bandit from that guy. But all he, and I'm thinking to myself, those birds could fly anywhere else. <laughs> they could fly to the next property you don't own. My point is he bought the whole field for eight birds. You know what else he bought? He bought that old shack. There was no rusted out car. Probably some skunks, a possum or two, and a snake. But he got the whole thing. The treasure was the birds. He was willing to sell out to buy in, but he had to get everything else too. We live in a day in Christianity where we just want the church for what we want the church for. I want the church to be there for me when I have a need. I want my kids to be in the nursery or the junior area and well cared for, but I really don't care to volunteer in it. I don't care about giving in certain areas. I just want what I want from it, and I'm not really willing to sell out to buy in. And let me just tell you something else. I know your pastor, and he hadn't rolled over on any of you, but I know churches, and I know this, there's a, probably a possum or two, a skunk, and probably a snake that attend church here too. And we know who you are. Right? And here's our excuse today, particularly with our, our young people. Well, I don't want to get involved down there. I don't want to be involved. I don't want to know stuff like that in the inner workings of stuff. You're missing what it means to be a Christian. You don't need to know how to love one another, serve one another, give to one another, forgive one another, and pray for one another, except you get involved with one another. And you got to buy the whole field to participate in the kingdom of God. And until you sell out and buy in at that level, you're playing church and just messing around. And let me tell you, you'll never reevaluate your life based on anything short of what I'm just telling you. you. What you have and what you do will always trump what it could be. Buy the whole field. That's good preaching, Pastor. Last one. And I'm not just saying that as a pastor. This is the last one, okay? Greatest lie in the pulpit every week is I'm wrapping up. Right? <laughs> you know you're invested in when joy is your dividend. If you go home all put out today, it just means you're not in. The man went and got all that he had. And considered it nothing to buy in. Whew. I think that's what Paul meant in Philippians 3. But what things were gained to me. Let me put it in perspective. My position, my possessions. Right? All the, Those things, those I've counted lost for Christ, my treasure. 
Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. He said what I didn't give away got stripped away. <laughs> a lot of us have lived long enough to find that out. I, I, went into Christ, I went into being a pastor trying to hold on to some stuff. And God said, get rid of that. Get, I'm taking it away. I want it all. I want it all. And he says, but when I look back on it, I'm telling you, it's a manure pile. It's junk. It's just rubbish for what I've gained in Christ. I say yes and amen to that. If what you're doing in the work of God is not causing you joy, you're living, you're trying to live off someone else's commitments and decisions. You got coerced into something in which you didn't make a good decision about. You're a renter and not an owner. <laughs> when you have joy from what you do in serving God, leading a life group, teaching kids, doing whatever it is that you do, holding a door, making coffee, whatever it is for the body of Christ, if it's not causing you joy, you've not bought in. And here's the thing. You haven't discovered he's worthy of your whole life and your face tells it. I'll tell you as a preacher, I can go into any church, preach a 30, 40 minute message like I've done today, 45 minute message somewhere in there, and I can tell you who's in and who's out just by reading you. You've got to know when to hold them and when to fold them, right? I made a living off reading faces. Is yours a yes face or a no face? During the days when Thomas Jefferson was a president and they were traveling through territories, there was a bridge that was out. True story. There had been a man walking, had come to this place of a river crossing, and he, had, he needed a horse, and even a horse is going to have to swim across. And, hey, it's Texas. I, I've spent time on horses, and it, it's great fun to swim across when you know you can swim and you know the current's not going to sweep and kill your animal. But it was a little bit risky. And so the man is sitting there waiting. Well, Thomas Jefferson and his entourage come up and they're about to cross the river and the man started walking through the horseman and just looked right at the president and said, could I, could I ride with you and go across? Well, Thomas Jefferson reached out his hand and helped him pull up on the back and they went in first and swam the horse across the, the river. Well, the rest of the entourage got on the other side and go, Sir, why did you ask the president if you could ride across with him? Well, he was dumbstruck. He didn't know he was the president. You know, this was a day everybody didn't have... It wasn't Facebook or... Most people didn't know what the president looked like. He said, that's the president? He said, yeah, that's, that's the president. Here's the man's answer. He said, all I know is, is I needed to cross this river... And all of your faces were saying no. And his face said yes. And I asked him. Ladies and gentlemen, we got to cross the river one day. And when you sell out to buy in, there's one guy that will get you across. Amen? His is a yes face. You know you have sold out to buy in when you hear a message like this and you go, I've done that, yes. Yes, I have joy, yes. I've bought the whole field. I'm tolerating a few people, but there's treasure here. <laughs> Amen? I'm in, I'm in. And if you don't have the joy of the Lord as your dividend, hear me now, you need to reevaluate. You need to reevaluate. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Thank you for your attention this morning and listening to hear out all of the message with her heads bowed and eyes closed. I'll just say it in plain terms. I put my faith in Christ as a boy. The best I knew how, I sold out to buy in. <laughs> I knew Jesus was the way of salvation and the way to heaven. And I gave him everything I knew to give him at the time. And that's what salvation is. Laying down your life, changing your heart and mind and asking God to save you of your sins and change your heart. And I put faith in Him. 
many of you have a testimony similar to that, no doubt. Some of you have just come to faith, and we praise the Lord for that as well. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as Savior, in a moment, I want to give you that opportunity. Others of you are probably also like me. You've had a walk with the Lord for some time, but then you come to crossroads. You come to places where you have to reevaluate, and it's usually when you start accumulating. And then God comes along and says, but I want this from you. I want more of you. In fact, I want all of you. That's really what Christianity is, is giving yourself away, seeing yourself as God's steward. Sadly, the more we gain, the more we struggle. If you've lost your joy, you know this is your struggle. We'll have an opportunity in a moment. I'll have your pastor come lead in that kind of prayer. For now, if you need Christ as Savior, you want to know Him as such. Believing that God loved you and that Christ died on the cross, He died for your sins. Believing that He was buried and rose again on the third day. If you want to put faith in Him for your salvation, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer. You may pray it behind me. And before I say it, please know there are no magic words. There is no hocus pocus to get you into heaven. You're praying a prayer that needs to align with the desire of your heart. And if he is speaking to your heart and you desire to be one with him and know him as Savior today, then let these words on your lips be the desire of your heart. And that is where salvation is found. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Pray a simple prayer like this. You don't have to pray it out loud. Just out of your heart. That's what God is looking at is your heart. Pray like this. Dear God, I do believe that you love me. And I confess that I'm a sinner. I realize that you sold out to buy me. That's what he did. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. I confess I'm a sinner. I'm asking you to be my Savior the best I know how. I'm asking it by faith. I'm asking it in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I wonder if there's someone or some few people here this morning in a crowd like this or those who are watching online. I'm sure there's instructions if you're online as to what to do. But if you're in this auditorium today with heads bowed and eyes closed, I wonder if there's any that say, Pastor, I just prayed that prayer and I just put faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up and by so doing, I promise I'm not coming to you and I wouldn't know your name. I'm not calling you forward. But it's just a first step of I'm acknowledging I'm putting faith in Christ today. Would you slip your hand up as I just look over the auditorium this morning? Pastor, I just prayed that prayer. God bless you, sir. Thank you. You may put your hands down. I want to encourage anybody that just slipped a hand up. First of all, welcome to the family of God. Secondly, would you please let myself, Pastor Bobby, one of the elders, anybody with a button or a badge on here know about that decision that they can put some things into your hand and help you take some next steps.